As a leader of your company, you must stay up to date with your strategies and execution or risk obsolescence. Welcome to the Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. And now, here's your host, Jerry Purcell. It's the Finnovate Show, brought to you by Innovation 360 Group. I'm Jerry Purcell. Get ready to think about your biggest challenges and capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external consultants to fill knowledge and experience gaps or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. The Innovation 360 Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leadership from around the globe and cost-effectively makes it available to you. Get the insights, advice, and systems you need to succeed. Learn more at www.innovation360.com. Welcome to Episode 3 of our podcast series, Turning Financial Services on Its Head. It would be an understatement to say that there's a lot of change taking place in the financial services industry. Perhaps it's unprecedented and certainly transformational. The ebbs and flows of that change portend significant implications for the future. Or do they? In previous episodes, my guests and I talked about the four-phase model of evolution and questions like, what is banking from a customer perspective? Does scale matter for industry players? Is digitization central to success? Or is it old news? In our final episode, my guests and I talk about the importance of unfettered access for all, the innovation implications of working together across silos, what is more critical, culture or technology, and some advice for the future. Our conversations have been rich and thought-provoking in Episodes 1 and 2. Join me now with my guests for Episode 3 and our conversation in progress. There's not been a lot of change to a checking account and a savings account and a credit card for a long time. And there's no cheat sheet to tell anybody why they need one product to achieve one goal. And that's the new opportunity that we have in market to actually be that cheat sheet. We have data as a service here. We have banking as a service here. We have a bank and we have a payments company, right? That's a good chunk of the way there. It's a matter of making sure the right people are collaborating together. But at the moment, the experts are expected to be the customer, the consumer or the business owner. And that's wrong. That's really wrong. It's always been wrong. But now we finally have a lot of the pieces in place to move the needle forward. Can we solve it all? No, but we can absolutely make some meaningful impact. And I don't know if any of you saw the CB Insights report. It was for the U.S., but 9% of the market share in 2020 went from traditional financial institutions to fintechs. That's such a mind-blowing figure. It's the same amount of market share loss that happened in the nine years prior to the study, And if you have a few years like that, the industry looks really different. In Canada, innovation looked for us like EQ Bank and Tangerine. We didn't, that was, that was mind blowing for us. But I think now we're about to see a lot of things change in the next year. So it sounds like the change that's going to take place is not going to be driven by things like digitization or improved productivity or, you know, perhaps even quantum computing and that kind of stuff. It's going to come from 
getting clearer ideas of what clients actually need, where the value is being derived, and how that's delivered to them, providing access to multiple different kinds of players. And one question I wanted, to, one of the things I wanted to talk about next is, we do historically, and I've, I've mentioned before, I've been around a long time, and this feels a lot like things that have happened before. Traditionally, we're very siloed in the way that we deal with things, and we're very clubby around how things get changed. So with this tendency to be siloed, what can we do to be more successful in terms of innovation? And I, just, I would just add that we know, we know from our research that those organizations across industries, across geographies, across sizes, where organizations are successful depend almost a, a significant part anyways of it is their ability to collaborate to share patents, to share ideas, to iterate on ideas, because that's where big ideas come from. They come from meetings like this, you know, where people talk about different things and, and come up with a, this piece and that piece comes together. And this is, you know, and I don't know that we do that as an industry particularly well. What do you guys think? Well, I think to your point about it's not, it's not the things that are going to change um, the market. I mean, let's be clear, those things are essential enablers of changing the market. So the fact that, you know, communication costs drop dramatically because of, you know, the internet and digitization, the fact that access to data and the ability to manipulate it becomes so different. The fact that, you know, many of these, uh, what were barriers to entry become much lower because of the technology of all the various kinds. I think those are essential. And, I think one of the reasons why the big banks have been successful in Canada is because, you know, that collaboration has existed within them, the ability to, um, you know, work across all the different functional areas required exists within them. But they, you know, they obviously have a you know different set of interests and priorities. I think the fintechs and the new entrants are much more willing to cooperate and collaborate themselves. Um, we tend to have a much clearer idea of what we can do and what we can't do, or at least what it's not worth our while doing. So, you know, at Fanatic, for example, you know, we're, we currently don't expect to put a mortgage product onto our own platform because there are plenty of other people out there we could partner with who already have fully digitized mortgage platforms. Similarly, international wire transfers, we could build the capability to do it, but why would we when there are other people out there we can work closely with? And when we talk to our potential distribution partners, those are the kind of combinations that they're interested in. So they're bringing to us, you know, this is the, you know, this is the problem we need to solve. This is the opportunity we want to create. They don't expect us to do it all ourselves. They're expecting us to bring together, you know, a range of data providers, payment rail providers, whatever it might be. So absolutely, I think that collaboration is what's required, but I think it is easier than it's ever been before. And I think it's also more prevalent than it has been in these markets. I'm going to just start to sound like a Richard fan at some point in this podcast. Might, now might be the time. Now I, might be the time for Richard to shut up for a while as well. No, <laughs> it, it's just the same thing. Our boss insights technology is nowhere near the scale of what Richard's done at his company as a full banking as a service platform. What we did is a data aggregation service, and we're getting information from financial statements, which right now come by PDF form, and they're emailed. And anyone want to guess which document can be most easily changed? A PDF. Now, when I worked with thousands of businesses, you want to guess what information I was looking at when I got their financial statements 100% of the time? PDF. So we're gathering something with 
with a pipeline. And the industry code name for that pipeline is API. And it's a magical term, which allows for information to be transferred. But just because we're providing financial statements and e-commerce, so sales information and payroll information and tax and, and whatnot, does that mean to Mahima's point earlier that we're solving lending problems completely? No. Even though we have a platform that will originate and decision and monitor, it's not complete. Why? Because if I were to ever have a sales discussion with a financial institution like EQ, they'd say, well, what about KYB? What about credit scores? And here comes the magical API with a cape to, to save the day because we can partner with people providing KYB and getting very deep into if you're doing business with somebody, are they really the business they say they are? And credit scores, so you can fact check the credit scores against the internal prepared numbers and the accountant reviewed numbers and the sales verified numbers. A few weeks ago, we had a conversation with a buy now, pay later provider, and guess what? They wanted to know, well, how are we going to process these payments? And I said, they said, we want you to do that. Well, no, our partners will do that. API saves the day because that's how you stitch these products together. And again, just the thought only occurred to me on this podcast because, Richard, of what you just said. We'll just we'll just do the wave now around Richard. Eh? Everyone, <laughs> thanks, Richard. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Karen. What do you think, Maiba? I mean, I I think it's all around partnership, and I think Karen and Richard have said that in in different ways. Is the openness to partner? It's the openness to invest. I think we haven't really found great ways to collaborate as an industry, but there are these mini ecosystems that have been quite helpful. So, I mean, this is a, a plug that I have no, nothing to gain from, but the Portage uh, Venture Capital Fund has done a really nice job of, of creating an ecosystem with their LPs and um, portfolio companies to bring together some of these opportunities for collaboration and partnership. So, to the point earlier on EQ Bank, like we, we decided not to build end-to-end digitization on mortgages, but partnered with Nesto as a mortgage marketplace. We decided not to build international transfers and partnered with TransferWise or Wise because they're best of breed in our minds. And so I think it's trying to identify these ecosystems or industry connections to allow this partnership. Everything is based on a API infrastructure, like Karen mentioned, like that's the only way we can really move ahead. But I do think the more and more we can bring these partnership opportunities to light and continue to make it easier because the amount of lift still required in any one of these integrations is still massive for even a player of our size. And so I think it's really focused on where we want to get and trying to use partnerships or, or marketplaces or whatever connections as the way to do that. Um, but you've got to be quite focused and kind of have the information at hand. Otherwise it's discovery with multiple players across a quite a long period of time to get to, you know, an innovation or, or market launch that makes sense for the customer. Hey there, Jerry here with a word from our sponsor, Innovation360 Group. Are you in the market for innovation management software? According to Forrester Research, 53% of global services decision makers say that they are. What features are you looking for? Decision makers tell us that they look for solutions that provide a 360-degree view of their environment with access to internal and external sources. Feedback loops for participants and the ongoing iteration of ideas are critical, as are tools for the development of pilots and proof-of-concept efforts, and support for the selection and commercialization of their innovative ideas. 
But that's not all. In addition to ideation tools, decision makers look for solutions that will help them strengthen the design and the governance of their innovation management programs, including structure, staffing, capability assessment, and metrics that are driven by industry standards, world-class benchmarking, and strategy support. Innovation 360 Group's InnoSuite meets those needs, and then some. Contact me to find out more at jerry.persil at innovation360group.com or on my mobile at plus one four one six two zero zero two three three eight. So the way that I interpret that um, this conversation we just had, uh, the, the last piece here, is really between the two components, culture and technology, culture is more important. And I, by culture, I mean the ability to collaborate and how you interact and like that. Is, is it? I mean, I, I think technology is an enabler. And like without the culture, the technology is not going to get you anywhere. It has to be the openness and the desire to actually collaborate. And, and then from there, like technology is critical. And if you don't have the right infrastructure, then it's incredibly difficult. But I would definitely say it's more of an enabler. What do you think, Pangiotis? I mean, we all know this famous quote that uh, culture is a strategy for breakfast, and I guess it's it's true. So if you don't have the cultural alignment, you cannot go very far. And on the other hand, if you don't have the technology behind, you can also not go very far. The difference between um, now and the past is that now technology is easy. You can rent the technology or the capabilities or the infrastructure that you need as long as you know where you want to go. So I think that's a big difference versus the past, but culture does remain a very significant element. So if you don't have the whole organization aligned between, uh, behind the target, if you don't know what to do, then technology is not going to help. And I think that's very significant, especially for uh, more traditional organizations. I think most of the new organizations, most of the fintechs, they know very well what they want to do because they are attacking either a niche market or they are they want to solve a specific pain point or they have a very specific view of how to do things. We can debate whether this is successful or not, but at the end of the day, they know where they want to go. And that's not always the case. Uh, the, the bigger the organization, I guess the more complex it is to navigate internally and try to understand. And once you do understand where you want to go, even if we assume that this is the case, then it's uh, not very easy to bring everybody behind the decision. So I would say that both of these things are are important. I would say equally important. The big difference is that the second one now is not as exclusive as it used to be. And I think that's the, that's the big difference. And of course, uh, it's not only the technology. I think everybody, we can all agree that uh, partnerships is a big leverage that we can use. And the fintechs were the, the, the first ones to showcase that this is working. So you don't have to necessarily build everything from scratch to be able to pilot something because that was the the model of the past. So even if I wanted to pilot something, which I was not sure if it's going to work, I still needed to spend a couple of years trying to build something which is uh, super perfect before I go to the market. And it could have been the case that in these two years I'm losing the market because somebody else can do it in a, in a faster, better way. So I think we can all agree that this is no longer a need. Uh, you don't necessarily have to own everything that you're offering to the customer as long as the customer is happy. I'd certainly agree on the fact that you know, culture is the important piece 
you know, obviously as a, as a banking, as a service provider, we need access to the deposit taking license. We need access to the balance sheet. So we have to partner with a bank and we know we are wholly owned by a national, but we have a very different culture and a very different approach. And we have some great partners um, at the bank um, who support us in that. But, you know, we, we, we are a, a separate subsidiary. So big to maintain that culture. And I think, you know, the, the fact that it was what, and Mahima will be able to talk to some more, but the fact that Equitable has been able to do what it has can't be something that one of the big five couldn't have done. You know, the only reason is that a difference in culture. And if one of the big five had managed to do what Equitable has done, it could have done it at much greater scale with much greater marketing dollars behind it, much more investment in technology. So it's, you know, the only distinction must be one of culture. And, you know, some of my friends and former colleagues who do still talk to me from the big banks, it's pretty clear that, yeah, there's, there is, remains a big cultural barrier to engaging in some of these things. And it's not, you know, it's entirely understandable given where they are and what their, you know, their ability to continue to be hugely successful businesses. But the thing that is stopping them from participating in the same way that an equitable or a fintech would do is all around culture. It's not about access to technology. And, and maybe so just one point, and maybe that's, uh, that's the reason why very often the only way, if you have a big organization, the only way to bring forward successfully a product is to just not do it using the entire organization, but to say, okay, I have to ring fence the team. So you have a very specific team that is working as a, as a kind of a small fintech or an organization within the organization. I, I, I bring all the capabilities that I need and I allow them to work on a, against the target, but they are free to experiment and to work like a, an agile, a smaller organization. I think uh, that's at least something I've seen in the past. I think all the times that you have all the organization, these big organizations, uh, slow-moving organizations, not building such a team and trying to do things, many, many uh, cases, in many, many cases and instances, this has, uh, has failed. And I think that's because of the cultural element and because of the fact that you don't have um, this willingness uh, and this uh, agility and flexibility that these uh, kind of uh, smaller teams can bring. And that's, of course, the challenge when you have uh, fintechs growing and uh, becoming successful. So how do you keep balancing this winning mentality with uh, becoming a, a very big and slow-moving organization? So one last question then for everybody. In the context of all this change that's going on, and, and I guess, well, not a guess, with a goal to turn the business on its head, you know, what, what advice would you give to business leaders, you know, those that are around today and those that are going to be around tomorrow to be able to get there? Why don't we start with maybe with Karen? If we're talking about larger financial institutions, the innovation groups at these financial institutions are some of the most educated people in market, but they don't have any budget. Just a simple, small budget to run a few experiments every year would go a long way with lesser requirements for vendor due diligence. Call it research, right? What's happening right now is those conversations never move forward. If we're talking about smaller players, what I would say is that the executive team and the operational team has to be very aligned on what the top three priorities are, top three, top five, whatever, and then empower people to move things forward faster. Because the one thing that's certain is that there are a lot of people, there are a lot of 
fintechs who are looking to solve these problems. And if they cannot solve it with our existing establishment, they'll solve it another way. They're motivated to do so. What do you think, Mayama? Mine's quite different, and I think it, it, it probably pertains to organizations of all sizes, which is do not underestimate cybersecurity and the investment required in cybersecurity. I think when you're growing a business, it's obviously not necessarily at the forefront, but it can very easily take a hold of your whole business and kind of knock you off of your feet. And I, I've just found that it can start to become a, a bit of a whack-a-mole and and it, it's incredibly difficult to stay on top of just how quickly fraudsters are, are moving. And so it's having a full plan and then having a team and uh, the expertise to kind of continue to stay ahead of it and plug the holes. So that would be my advice. Excellent. Pangiotis? So I was actually trying to summarize everything and I got down to five points. So the first one I would say is try to understand your customers, your customer base, with whatever way you find relevant so that you can understand the customers. The, the second is work just on a few targets. So not 10, not uh, 7, not 15, just 2 or 3 on a given time. Don't try to be everything to everybody. Employ technology wisely and make use of partnerships. Thank you. And Richard? I would certainly pick up on Mahima's point around the importance of cybersecurity. And I think what I would say to leaders of fintech startups is this is different. Handling people's money is different to most other startup activities. And we see you know, that, that startup culture of, well, just build a beta version and get it out in the market to customer test it and see what happens, um, you know, move quickly and break things. That's an incredibly powerful culture. It doesn't necessarily always work in financial services where you're dealing with other people's money and you really do have to make things right. So, you know, we often see people with some, you know, fairly scary looking tech stacks um, and an approach to getting things out quickly, which is incredibly valuable in terms of innovation. But you have to recognize that the world of financial services is a little different because you're handling other people's money. And to pick up on Karen's point about the big players, I think I'd have a starker message for them, which is your business is going to be cannibalized by fintechs, new entrants, uh, the smaller players who get it right first. And either you're going to be cannibalized by other people or you're going to cannibalize yourself. And that's the stark choice that you have. And if you don't want to be cannibalized by others, you're going to have to accept that you're going to do it to yourself and that you are going to eat into your own profit pools and you are going to fundamentally change the nature of your relationship with customers, the nature of your relationship with technology, the nature of your relationship with your regulators. And I think those are three pretty big hurdles for the large players to overcome. But if they don't accept that it's necessary, they will see the value pools in their business eaten up by the new entrants. Thank you, all of you. And, and that will wrap up our episode and uh, our first live panel discussion. And I hope you really enjoyed it. I did. And I, I guess if we were to ask the question again that we asked at the beginning, which is there an opportunity to, to turn the financial services business on its head? I, I think the answer is yes. And we've learned all kinds of thought-provoking and insightful views uh, from our our panelists today, which I think can be can be quite helpful in terms of thinking about how we might do that going forward. As always, I look forward to hearing some thoughts from you, our listeners, about today's show. Please keep the conversation going. And if you like the show, 
tell your friends. And please take a minute to rate our show or to comment on LinkedIn. Go to www.innovation360.com or your favorite podcast site to find out more and to listen to more shows. Stay safe, and we'll see you on our next session. I wanted to thank, in particular, Karen Moynihan, co-founder and CEO of Boss Insights, Maima Potter, Group Head of Personal Banking at Equitable Bank and EQ Bank, Richard Goiter, Head of Value Proposition at Fanaptic Technologies, and Panagiotis Kriaris, Head of Business Development for Unzer, for chatting with me. Thank you all. You've been listening to The Finnovate Show with Jerry Purcell. If you like the show, share it on your network and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can go to www.innovation360.com to listen to more shows, download the transcription from today's show, or to contact today's guest. This is The Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. Today.